to Logos Live. I'm Robert Martin, Director of the City Bible Forum in Melbourne, and I'm your host for the show. Logos is Greek for word or message, and Logos Live seeks to engage the Christian message in Melbourne. But today we're not in Melbourne, we're on a bit of a Logos Live tour in the UK. So it's a little bit like Logos pre-recorded, but I'm still sure you'll enjoy what we have in store. And today we meet... Will McCarris. Will studied in Melbourne, at Ridley, Melbourne, and writes poems and songs about the Bible, and is now something of an artist in residence at a community centre in central London. Welcome, Will. Thank you, Rob. Good to be with you. It's great to hear an Australian voice in London. Yes, I can. I can provide an Australian voice. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Do you want one? No, we're very happy to have an Australian voice. Now, so, well, you're obviously uh, Australian yes. and now based in central London. Yes. But you haven't always been a Christian, have you? No. no. Can you no. tell us a bit about your story? Well, how did you come to follow Jesus? I had exposure to the Christian message. I went to Sunday school as a child and I went to a a church school. But I somehow, through all that, I picked up a fairly religious outlook. I suppose I I somehow got the idea that you needed to be a good person and work quite hard Mm -hmm. for God to accept you. Eventually I realised that wasn't wasn't true, that, that God would just accept me if I trusted in Jesus and asked him to forgive me. So how did, how did that come about? Yeah, it wasn't the no. Damascus Road experience no. necessarily, was it? <laughs> uh, no. Um, probably what uh, was the main thing that uh, caused me to rethink all that was that in my final year at university, I was obsessed with Australian football. That, that was sort of what drove my life, really. How did this obsession manifest itself? <laughs> what were you doing? <laughs> Well, I used to play with the university team, the um, one of the university teams, and uh, I was, I, you know, was a very committed club person and trained a lot. And uh, but it, the particular year um, that my team did the best, uh, we actually made the grand final that year. I couldn't play other than for two games uh, through injury. Oh, gee. So there wasn't a cause and effect relationship here, was there? No, no. <laughs> Suddenly well, you're, you're no. injured and now the team performs very well. well. We can never prove whether that is the case. <laughs> I suspect it's unlikely um, because I wasn't that good a player anyway. Uh, but but you're obsessed with football. Yeah, and we anyway, my team made the grand final and however, I couldn't play and I was just overcome with jealousy of my teammates. And th- I think this really helped me realise that... Uh, even though I had a religious outlook, I I wasn't as good a person as I thought I was. So you, you realised at that point that was sort of an experience where you realised that you weren't good. Yeah. So suddenly your religious paradigm sort of fell apart. Well, yeah, yeah. I guess I realised that I wasn't good enough right. for him to accept me if I was basing it on being good. Hmm. So what happened then? Well, many months of soul-searching, but probably what moved me along was that I moved into a group house with some people who I knew who happened to go to a particular Anglican church and so I started going along to that church and it was th- through people I met there that they helped me to see that I didn't matter that I wasn't a good person that I could trust in Jesus and be accepted anyway. So it wasn't about being good but through Jesus? Yes, Jesus died, uh, this I discovered, his, his death was enough to cover all my sins without me needing to do anything. And then, you know, obviously, you went to 
Theological College, and now and, and now you well you have a slightly eccentric interest, no, don't right. you? Will? A slightly eccentric uh, interest. You yes. have written poems about the Bible in the style of Banjo Patterson. Now I have. Where did that interest spring from? Well, before I went to theological college, various things led me to think that I might be able to be a, a full-time minister, mm-hmm. and I was encouraged to try this out by doing an apprenticeship. I went and did that in a in a very small town in New South Wales, which was near a, a little town called Come By Chance, mm-hmm. and it so happened that Banjo Patterson had written a poem about Come By Chance, and partly through that reading this poem, I sort of got into his poetry in a way that I hadn't, perhaps since I was a kid, when my parents used to read me uh, some Banjo Patterson poems. So I, I sort of got into it through that, and then I thought I could use these poems to help teach kids in the school about Jesus, which was part of my job as an apprentice. And, and did they like them? Uh, well, I, th- I think so. I think so. <laughs> you didn't get eggs thrown at you or anything? Or? No, no, no. The, the idea was... Very cultured kids, were they? Yeah. Well, well the, the idea was to use uh, something that was familiar, which was these Benjamin Patterson poems, and sort of adapt them to tell Bible stories. So if you borrowed phrases from the original, but used them to teach them about something in the Bible. Just the familiarity of it, I figured, would help people relate to what they were hearing. So how do you model your poems on the originals? Do you, you use the same words, same sort of metre, the same sort of rhymes? Yeah, the same, the same metre and the same rhyming pattern. I, I copy exactly, and then I try and borrow as many phrases from the poem as I can. Terrific. Well... We have a poem today that you're going to share with us. I do. And it's based on the conversion of Paul. The conversion of Paul is recorded several times in the scriptures, but the one we're looking at is the one that is not particularly common, I suppose, not commonly known, is Acts 22. Yes. The passage comes in the context of Paul speaking to a, a rowdy crowd in Jerusalem. Uh, Jews from Asia had stirred them up, and Paul had been arrested. And then Paul speaks to the crowd to his, in his defense and shares his testimony in their own language. Now, I'll read it out in the Bible, and then you can share your Banjo Patterson version. Yes, good point. What's, it called? what's your what's yours? What's it well, called? I don't really have a title. I, it's just called uh, the conversion yeah. of Paul. Yeah. Well, so there we go. We can make. No, it well, it's called Paul. Paul. It's Paul. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is uh, Acts twenty-two, uh, from three to sixteen. And Paul said, "I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city." Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people to prisoners to, as prisoners in Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, I came near Damascus. Suddenly... Bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. 
He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Well, Yes, so this is my telling of, of that story uh, using the same language and meter as a bush christening by Banjo Patterson. Far beyond the Baku, when the churches were new and the gospel was sure radiating, an official named Saul was a filling with gall, for the message was one he was hating. He was righteous, you see, or he thought he could be, for he lived on the wrongful assumption that the Lord would declare he was blameless and fair on account of his effort and gumption. But the offer of Jesus was free as the breezes. He pardoned the lazy and lying. And he answered the cry of the selfish and sly. And he saved them before they were trying. Now the method he used to accept the accused was a spiritual form of baptising. In the blink of an eye, in a manner all dry, it had given him a revitalising. For the Spirit of God would arrive with a nod and would wash him without any water. With a scrub of the soul, he would take the control and would cause them to wish as they alter. For without an injection, he'd heal their infection. The dangerous soul stripped a cockle. With a hardy rewiring of all their desiring, he'd change them right down in the cockle. But our Saul couldn't figure how all of his vigour was useless in such a transaction. He was mighty offended, in fact, and pretended he didn't require the action. "'Tis outrageous,' said he, to be baptising me. "'I have tried all my life to be good. "'I have scarcely a need to be humble and plead "'to a man good for nothing but wood.'" Now, in thinking like this, he was certain to miss all the light in the heavenly room. Like a young native dog, he had climbed in a log and was hiding inside in the gloom. And he lay there as snug as a bug in a rug, though a preacher in vain might reprove him, till the Trinity spoke without hint of a joke. We have a notion, they said, that will move him. In the darkness is he, but he thinks he can see, for he's haughty and puffed in his mind. But he'll quickly be humble if having to stumble and bumble about, because he's blind. So the son of the father, although he would rather be using a trick less severe, with his garments of light and his larynx of might, put his head through the sky to appear. Well, our Saul, he was talking and scheming and walking along the Damascus arterial, he was leading, in fact, a malicious attack on the Christians and all their material. But the deity called and the traveller stalled in a fright, and he dropped to the gravel. And he heard in a word what his maker preferred, and his sight in the light did unravel. With a saul and a saul, and a why are you mauling me, Jesus, he struck with a vim, and announced with a jolt, 
that the smallest assault on a Christian is also on him. Now, a fellow unsighted, so sternly indicted for many a crime on the shelf, you would think wouldn't fail while his eyes were all scaly to have a good look at himself. And it all went to plan, for our Saul, he began to perceive that he really was evil, and to see that his effort, no matter how blessed, could never achieve a retrieval. And when someone was sent to get Saul to repent and petition the Lord for a wash, he responded massively, for figuratively, he jumped in the creek for a slosh. Will you save me, he said, in my chest and my head? I appeal to you, Lord, for a scrubbing. For my heart, it is sick, and my skull, it is thick, and I cannot be faithful or loving. And I need you to pardon me all the discarding I do of your wisdom and law. I implore you, forget the gargantuan debt I would pay otherwise evermore. And I know you can do it, for Jesus went through it, the death and the rising. It's done. So I ask you for him. My predicament's grim. Would you save me because of your son? Now the words I have guessed, but we know he was blessed. For the Lord who is listening is truthful. And he promises folk who will trust and invoke him a life everlasting and youthful. So it happened for Saul as it happens for all. He was suddenly pardoned and altered to enjoy the divinity, all of the trinity. Jesus, he said, be exalted. And he wasn't perfected, for still he defected and wandered and stumbled and slid. But he constantly pleaded the Lord who had bleeded to hold him. And Jesus, he did. And the rest of his life, in the bitterest strife, once his usual seeing returned, he was telling the living that God the forgiving could grant him what Jesus had earned. So to someone astray, you'd be hearing him say, there's a saviour who wants to revise you. So admit that you're stuck in the filth and the muck and appeal to him quick to baptise you. That's fantastic. Thank you very much, yep. Will. That's, that's if there was a live one. audience here, I'm sure that there would be a smattering of applause. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a, it's a fantastic poem. Are there any lines in here that you particularly like? Oh, well, I, probably my favourite line in a bush christening, the original is... that. Should I explain what the original bush christening is about? Yeah, sure. Yeah. About? Tell, tell us yeah, that. The original bush christening is about a boy who hasn't been baptised and he lives out in the outback the remote outback and his parents are worried that he hasn't been baptised and so when a, their local minister comes visiting they ask him to baptise their son but the son overhears it and he doesn't understand what baptising is and he, think it's, he thinks he's going to be branded with a hot iron <laughs> so he climbs into a log uh, to escape being branded oh, right. or escape being baptised but then they poke him with a stick and he runs out the other end of the log and they baptise him as he comes out the other end of the log. Right. Anyway, uh, the so line... There's a line here about a log, isn't there? Well, yes, though. Um, the line I was going to mention is that in the original it says that this boy was in the log as snug as a bug in a rug. And so I was pleased to be able to use that line in relation to Paul uh, in a sort of metaphorical way. He was sort of hiding in his sort of self-righteousness. 
in right. a way. It's not, it wasn't as though he was actually in a lock. lock or in a lock. Uh, no, no. The, the Apostle Paul was not in a lock. Right, okay. <laughs> I'm glad that we've established that. So I've used the line metaphorically. But the line, like a young native dog he had climbed in a log, that was actually part of the original poem, was it? Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. So that's the way you've framed the poem. Yeah, that you've borrowed, borrowed plagiarised as much as I can. <laughs> 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 yeah. right, yes, For yes. the sake of the pleasure of the the listener recognising the original line. and then But you've changed the context and the yeah. story. There's actually a lot of similarity, I suppose, between that story, of, as you've outlined, between the child not really quite sure what's going on, requiring to be baptised, and then yes. Paul being baptised. Yes. Is that That's why right. you chose it? Yes, because I said before that, that we can be forgiven through Jesus' death, but that wasn't the whole of the story. We're, we're forgiven because the Holy Spirit is able, through Jesus' death and resurrection, to change any person so that they go from running away from the Lord and not wanting to have anything to do with him to becoming a person who loves the Lord and wants to be with him. And, and the Holy be... Spirit does that using Jesus' death and resurrection. But the way it's described in the Bible is with the word baptism. So when so, someone becomes a Christian, they are baptised in the Spirit. They'll also be baptised with water at some point. But when you become a Christian, the, the fundamental thing that's happening is at that moment is that you're being baptised in the Spirit. Right. And so you saw that baptism theme in the original. Yes. And thought that Paul's conversion was... Yes. Because yeah. Paul's, Paul's conversion is quite remarkable, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Going from someone who was active opponent of the Christian message yeah. to being is probably one of yeah. its greatest defenders. So not just running away from the Lord, which all of us do, but actually killing people who love the Lord. Mm. So Paul was expressing his rebellion against Jesus mm. in a bit more of an extreme way. What other things are you trying to communicate through the poem? Well, just the way that Paul went from thinking that he had to be a good person and try very hard to be accepted, uh, to realising that Jesus would accept him freely through this baptism in the Spirit, if Paul just called on his name. So uh, that's why this poem's based on this passage in particular. So Ananias says to Paul, What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptised, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So I tried to emphasise in the poem that all, all Paul really did was he, he believed that this was true, and he asked the Lord to forgive him, to change him, and then the Lord did. Rather than making this big effort, which is what he'd always been doing, mm. he really had to make very little effort at all. Mm. And in many ways, that seems to mirror your own personal experience. Yes, yes, very much. Which is probably another reason why I was attracted to this story and wanted to write the poem. Right. As part of Logos Live, we actually look at the, the scriptures, look at the Bible. Yes. The Logos, the word yes. of the day. In this uh, testimony, Paul shares his pedigree and his former life, which you've kind of touched on in your poem. Yep. Uh, in verse 3, he said that he was zealous for God and he also punished Christians. Now, you've speculated a little in your poem about what's motivated Paul, but what do you think motivated him? Well, he didn't realise that Jesus was actually the Lord that he was trying to impress. As, as many of the Israelites of his day, mm. um, they followed everything that they learnt about the Lord through the Bible that they had, the Old Testament. But when the Lord who'd been promised in the Old Testament turned up, they didn't recognise him. So they thought that they were following their scriptures in order to put down this rival Messiah, this person who was claiming to be a well, Messiah who they didn't think was. They thought, well, you know, we've got to put that threat down. Well, that's probably... Yeah. There's, there's a reasonable just to that, I suppose, isn't there? But the God of the Bible doesn't tolerate rivals. Yes, that's and right. And if they have... Got so if they were right, if, they were, if Jesus was 
not the Messiah, then uh, they would have been right to oppose oppose him. Well, it says here, yeah. under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. And I think you touched it in your poem as well. You mentioned something about gumption or something. Was that right? Yes. I say that he assumed that the Lord would declare he was blameless on account of his gumption. What's gumption? Isn't that something you clean your sink with? Gumption is sort of <laughs> fortitude, you know, bravery and hard work. Yes. So I think that cleaning product, gumption, is using that idea. <laughs> okay. Right. You know, it's a hard-working cleaning product. Right, right. yes. But like, that's, that's how Paul was. So he was actually yes. he was doing the right thing, yes. trying to eliminate this, this rival sect. which were, He considered uh, himself a hard-working cleaning product. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose he was cleaning up the world yes. of this, yes, this terrible right. thing. He thought he uh, was, yes. But then Paul shares in verses 6 to 11 about uh, he encounters a light in which he discovers uh, is Jesus. Now, yes. you're not convinced at this particular point that Paul was necessarily converted, do you? Well, I don't really know. But, I mean, the, the phrase road to Damascus conversion has sort of entered the English language. So everyone uses it, yeah. whether they're a Christian or not. And I think because of that, we probably too quickly assume that Paul's conversion finished on the road. Yeah. Whereas I think it's possible that it began on the road with the Lord speaking to him, but that perhaps Paul didn't actually trust in the Lord and he wasn't actually changed and, and forgiven until he got to Damascus when he was spoken to by this man, Ananias. Ananias. And I base that on, on this verse 16, really, when Ananias says, Get up, be baptised, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So yes. it sounds to me like his sins have not yet been washed away. I mean, I'm not entirely sure, but in terms of telling the story in the poem, I had to, you know, say something about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose yeah, also, yeah. but that's the nature of poetry, isn't it? Yes. As well, that, yeah, yeah, and I, I guess I'm because I'm putting the story into into rhymes and in, into new new words. I have to sort of imagine some things. So I suppose it's a bit like if you paint a picture of a of a biblical scene, you've got mm. to imagine some things that are actually in the account. So obviously that's what I've done. Well, I suppose in, in general, yeah. apart from a couple of instances, we're generally not told what colour clothes the disciples wore. Yes, yes. Whereas if you drew a painting, yeah, be, you would have to think of something. You'd have to, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It was a and white, similar, it? similarly with the poem. <laughs> yeah. So even though I'm not really sure when Paul was converted, I'm just said that he was converted here in Damascus. Yeah, well, but there seems like there's a reasonable basis for it, though. In terms well, of I, think so. I think so, I think so. I mentioned this in verses 12 to 16, that he goes to Damascus and meets Ananias, and there Paul receives his sight, because at this stage he's blind. He's been blinded yes. by this kind of light on the road. And Ananias says, I think, three things to Paul. In verse 14, he acknowledges that Paul's been chosen to know God's will and to see the righteous one. Then, uh, secondly, in verse 15, he's Paul's commission to take the message uh, of this saviour to the world. And then verse 16, the action, which is to be baptised and wash his sins away. What are your thoughts on that? Well, Paul's situation is a bit unusual in that he's told exactly what the Lord wants him to do Mm. before, it seems, he actually becomes a Christian. Most of us, we've become a Christian and we we have an idea of God's commands and and the sort of things we'll have to do, but we don't know the exact way in which we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. But Paul is told in verse 15 that he would be a witness to all men of what he had seen and heard. Mm. And uh, that means that he would travel the known world at that time. What's he seen and heard? Oh, well, the fact that he'd seen the risen Jesus and heard words from Jesus' own mouth. Yes. 
So he was a witness much in the line of the other disciples who encountered the risen Jesus as well. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. So yeah. Paul's role will be to tell people about that wherever he could travel, basically. Now, you mentioned baptism before. Some people might be a bit puzzled about baptism, but you mentioned it's sort of baptised in the Spirit. What, what, what does that mean exactly? Again, this is a, a thing that Christians can very earnestly disagree on, and I've written the poem to avoid expressing an opinion. Right. But I think its you basic see. meaning uh, could be immersing. Overwhelmed. Yeah, or, or washed. So there are instances where it's used in the New Testament where someone's definitely being dunked in water. There are other occasions where it seems like their whole body's not going in water, but they're just washing. Mm. So that's why there's controversy about it. But both those ideas help us understand what baptism is. So mm. it's being fully overwhelmed by the Spirit in such a way that you're, you're washed clean. So as you yeah. mentioned before, your sort of feeling of inadequacy yeah. has been washed away. Yeah. Baptism of the Spirit is something that happens inside. You're changed in your heart mm. to be a new person. But obviously there's baptism in water as well. Uh, and that happens on the outside. And that helps us picture what God does on the inside mm. with the Spirit. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I suppose at one level, baptism doesn't necessarily imply water, does it? I mean, you could perhaps be baptised in baked beans. <laughs> Potentially. Would that be... Uh, well, well, obviously you wouldn't have any basis in the New Testament for that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but also, but I, I guess strictly speaking, the word baptise but it, but, yeah, could... But, be but it also used. implies washing as well. It says, yes. be baptised and wash your sins away. It'd be difficult because you yes, you'd require would, a bath yes. or something after being baptised yes, in baked beans. Right. You, you would need a full immersion after, after being baptised in baked beans. Baked beans, that's yes. correct. Yes, yes. Now, if someone who's listening here hasn't been baptised, what, what should they do? Well, if they're a Christian... Mm-hmm and they haven't been baptised in water, well, that'd be a great thing for them to do mm-hmm. uh, as a way of showing what has happened to them already and a way of being assured from, from God that he's accepted them. Uh, if they're not a Christian, then they need to be baptised in the Spirit. They need to call on the name of the Lord. Uh, they need to put their trust in Jesus, ask him for forgiveness, ask him to, to change them. And then in, if they do that, they, they'll be baptised in the Spirit. And then, if they haven't already, they can be baptised in water. Good. So that's why I finished my poem by saying, there's a saviour who wants to revise you, so admit that you're stuck in the filth and the muck and appeal to him quick to baptise you. Terrific. Well, that will leave those thoughts with you, and that leaves us with our Logos for the day, Acts 22.16. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptised, and wash your sins away. Calling on his name. Thanks so much for joining us Logos Live, and thank you very much, Will. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. And at this particular point, if there was a live audience, we would give you a, a, a slight applause as well. I, and I would gratefully receive it. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> I look forward to you joining us next time for Logos Live.